Okay, welcome back to the Hundred Report. I'm Chris. I'm Charlie. And we are coming to you after, well, um, a fairly truncated Pakistan Test series. Um, I think that's probably the best way of putting it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a bit of a wipeout series. It was quite. I felt really sorry for the Pakistan team. Obviously, travelling all of this way, you, you forget they've actually been in England since the West Indies series in isolation doing their training. So they've been here for an awful long time, and those few players that are only in the test team as opposed to both the T20 and the test I felt really sorry for them coming all this way and then only sort of playing what sort of seven days of cricket was it in total something like that across what should have been what 18 days we probably only got about nine days in yeah I did feel sorry every now and then the camera would cut to the guys who were playing on the practice match next door and I just thought are you guys ever going to actually play and then I think Wahab Riaz uh, still didn't play he's uh, he's kind of like Pakistan's Jack Leach He's been there for the whole thing and hasn't played a single match yet. Shame. That's really sad. <laughs> so I guess we should just go through what we did see from the first test to the second test to the third test. Now, obviously, coming into the first test, there was all this talk about Babar Azam because he's obviously the T20 captain. He somehow isn't put in the same bracket as Virat Kohli and Kane Williamson and Joe Root, this sort of next generation of great cricketers. But his stats don't lie. He's he's pretty phenomenal. And whilst he'll probably be a bit disappointed with the scores he got, he, he looked solid. He, he, he looked like a great batsman who just wasn't quite hitting his straps. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I, I was quite impressed with him on a whole. And I think that he made... Some pretty good decisions, um, obviously under pressure. You can tell that he really, really wanted to win. I thought the first test had a lot, a lot in it. It was a great match. And I think for me, it was more that run chase at the end was really exciting. It really could have gone either direction. And having that partnership that we really, really needed uh, with Butler and Wokes, so sort of lowered down the order, it was nail-biting. Absolutely. There was something quite cathartic about it as well because throughout the West Indies series and uh, throughout even the first innings of the Pakistan first test there was all of these question marks going on about Joss Butler and his batting and what he could do but as we saw in the first test and then even in the second test he's more than proved himself with a bat now and especially with his wicket keeping do you remember that catch he took in the second test it was a screamer he took it very very wide down the leg side he caught it in the tips of his fingers and as he was falling he grabbed it with his hand that just shows immense athleticism and immense skill but it was a great catch but you're right he really needed to make some runs with the bat and he definitely did that so I think everyone kind of breathed a sigh of relief when he celebrated his 50 and then in that last test he also got what 150 odd when Crawley got that amazing score so I think there are lots of positives to take from this Pakistan series one of which is Joss Butler definitely and also to a degree Chris Wokes is batting because you know we we spent a bit of time talking before off air about the batting order because it was a bit difficult because the orders chopped and changed quite a lot since that first test when you remember that Joe Denley was playing in the first test to going oh what was the what was the batting order for the first test and you realize Joe Root was batting at three because Ben Stokes was still in it so there was a lot of pressure on Chris Wokes to score runs uh, when he was uh, batting at number seven and we were basically saying it's it might be a little bit too high, but over the course of the Pakistan series, his batting has come on in leaps and bounds, and particularly he seems to enjoy batting with Joss Butler. I know, they did really make a great partnership. You're right, I think with Stokes out injured, 
not necessarily being able to take up the overs that he does with the ball. We really needed him to score well with the bat. And unfortunately, he didn't, which is really unlike him. And we were all sort of relying on him. So then when he went down, sort of, I think, got zero in the first innings and nine in the second innings. Ollie Pope then shortly followed. He also normally scores we just rely on him to do really well so it was really quite a lot of pressure on for Butler and Wokes so that was a really great partnership to watch that was really exciting for me obviously we got a lot to talk about from the third test in terms of England's triumphs yes in terms of stats but it's just such a shame that again with the weather we weren't able to play it out um I'm sure you know we enforced the follow-on I'm sure we were going to get a win and Jimmy Anderson taking his 600th wicket. That was just such a great moment, wasn't it? I was so glad that he got that. It would have been so frustrating, not just for him, but for everybody. I think by a certain point on that last day, we all just went, this game's a washout now. You might as well just bowl Anderson for 35 overs at one end and just say, just keep bowling until you get your wicket. Well, well, yeah, he could have done because, I mean, how many drop catches did he have? I was... <laughs> I mean, I don't, bless him, he really managed to contain himself, but you could tell the first one, okay, Sibley missed a catch, it was quite, it was quite a fast paced ball and it was quite a difficult catch to take. Zach Crawley then, the ne- I think it was literally the, the next ball, wasn't yeah. it? He then, he then dropped that catch, which he should have taken. Bit of a, bit of a dolly, I think actually, I listened recently to the Tailenders podcast and Jimmy Anderson did say, both of his daughters could have taken that catch. <laughs> so um, Crawley didn't know where to look. They both had their head in their hands just grimacing because they let Jimmy Anderson down and it was just yeah. so awkward. Then his mate Stuart Broad yeah. misses a catch and then in frustration just throws it at the wicket and manages to get the run out, which I, don't, I think is probably even worse because that wicket's then gone and it's not to Jimmy Anderson. Yeah. Um, and then Butler also drops one. So it was, oh God, that... Yeah, that was a difficult, I thought, because I don't know when the next test is scheduled for. I was thinking, if not now, when is he going to get that 600 wicket? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a comedy of errors at the end, and they kept addressing the slip catching was an issue, and they were always doing slip catching drills at the at the beginning of the day. I think they even caught Rory Burns dropping a couple during slip catching as well. I, I felt for him, but yeah, I, I think everything's already been said about Jimmy Anderson. I'm what, to have played 156 tests as a fast bowler and still be able to keep going really is quite an achievement. But Sorry, did... I need to correct myself there. I think it was actually Rory Burns who dropped the first one, not, not Dom Sibley. Uh, okay. so, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to shame Dom Sibley. No, no. I think the... he did drop one in the West Indies series. So, um, But shame, speaking of Rory Burns, I think also coming into this series, we really did establish our top order which we we hadn't done we've known for years that it's not been the best top order so we've had Rory Burns and Dom Sibley and we just assume that they're going to get quite a good opening partnership because it's worked so well so far and it's just not been Rory Burns a series has it I mean mm. either in the field or with the bat it's such a shame no, I think you're right. I think Shaheen Sharafridi figured him out quite quickly. In many respects, it was quite a similar attack that Stuart Broad used to do to David Warner. Coming round the wicket, just kept getting him out that way. But we should talk about Azhar Ali and how he sort of struggled at the beginning and that last test, he basically just saved it because that was England's game to lose and Azhar Ali just made sure. Ultimately, it was sort of poetic in a sense that Anderson got that got his wicket. But his 140-yard was majestic. But the one player that I wanted to bring to the fore, because I thought 
he's an incredible find for Pakistan and has got a very bright future ahead of him is uh, Nassim Shah, their their young uh, the quick seventeen year old. Yeah, yeah. Um, he looks just like Dennis Lilly. Like I used to watch old footage of Dennis Lilly, uh, you know, the great Australian fast bowler. He looks like a little Lily. Apparently, apparently, all the team call him Lily Shaw, which I think is uh, quite funny. Oh, no way. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, he's a really promising young player. And 17 years old, to play like that, he's got such confidence already. Mm. I'm really excited to see how he goes in the future. And Shaheen Afridi, obviously an amazing young bowler too. I think, what, he's 20, 21 or something. Jimmy Anderson was saying that after the third test... He came up to him and they were having a chat and Shaheen Afridi was really looking up to Jimmy Anderson and getting some advice off him, which is really lovely to see that kind of sort of more mature generation and the younger generation exchanging advice and tips. And that's a lovely, lovely moment between the, the two players. Yeah, I think that's actually quite sweet. I didn't know about that. That's actually sort of endeared me to Afridi a lot more. But yeah, obviously it's not much more to be said than the weather was the ultimate winner and i think uh, unfortunately that sort of destroyed the series and i don't know about you but i I couldn't get into this series as much as i could the west indies series because it just felt so stop start it was really stop start i was so frustrated and i think a lot of the fans were on twitter saying the same thing why oh why we could not start earlier than 11 a.m we don't have any crowd coming in the players are at the stadium they they live in the hotel on site um, they don't have any travel time we know that there's rain forecast even if they haven't lost any play yet let's begin at 10 a.m and if we bowl too many overs in a day then you can finish early but that never happens so it's, yeah. it was really frustrating that they didn't start earlier yeah I, I i think so too in many ways i have a question as well with the bad light okay this must sound might sound like a silly question but i've always wondered <laughs> there's no such thing as a silly question so both Manchester and uh, Southampton, they both hold, you know, night, day-night matches, T20 matches into the night. So they've got the floodlights to light up the whole field. Mm. So is it just a question of the ball being a different colour as to why we go off the bad light at sort of 3, 4, 5pm when you can just put the floodlights on brighter and like a, like a night match and just play it like that? You know, it's funny because I was actually up in Stoke because uh, my my, uh, my sister's just about to have uh, a child. So I was hanging around. Uh, we're, we're still waiting, but uh, I heard my dad yelling at the screen constantly about the lights. So my understanding of it is, is that's why they're trialing the pink ball so you can play day-night tests and you can uh, struggle to pick up the red ball. Uh, there's lots of caveats in the umpire's rules, but I think it's to do with the idea that the floodlights are there to aid the natural light. And if the floodlights overtake the natural light, from my understanding, it's if you can see the shadows underneath the players, then that's when light becomes a real issue. But I do not know. But if you intrepid listeners happen to know, please do send us a message or send us a tweet. We are at The 100 Report on Instagram, at 100 Report on Twitter. And of course, you can email us or drop a comment on the YouTube video. Before we move on to talk about the T20, because I know that we neither of us sort of had much more to say when it came to the Pakistan test series. We forgot to mention one key player here, Zach Crawley. Oh, yes. What a player. He has only had eight test matches for England and he's got an average of just under 50. And he only came into the side, I think, because Stokes, we lost Stokes. He wasn't included in the first test and then we lost Stokes. He had to go back to New Zealand, Mm -hmm. I think, 
uh, for a family member and then Corley got his his place and I just think he's definitely cemented himself as that number three that Joe Denley couldn't quite keep a hold of and he just looks like such a mature batsman for his age as well and his lack of international experience that 267 was one of the finest innings I've ever watched. Yes, it was It was very majestic. I actually remembered hearing, I think it was Nasser Hussein, who said that Zach Crawley now has the highest batting average of anyone in the England test side. Don't, don't get me wrong, if you get a 267, it's definitely going to bump your average up a little bit. But I think that's a fantastic achievement. And there were a lot of people commenting on how Zach Crawley got picked early and his county stats didn't necessarily reflect that he was anything special, but they were talking about getting younger players in early so they get used to the international arena and they can kind of learn as they go. And he's pretty much just showed how effective that can be as a model, just like Nassim Shah in Pakistan. Anyway, so let's move on and talk quickly about the T20 series, which at the time of recording, the final T20 is due to start in three hours' time. Obviously, England won the second one. Quite an exciting run chase, I thought. I love that run chase. That's what T20's all about. It was so exciting. We got down to the last over, and it looked like we, we had it in the bag, and then the bowlers just came out and attacked us at the end, and it was just... It was it was really scary to watch, <laughs> just losing like wicket after wicket. Um, but it was yeah, it was a really exciting exciting match. I, I, yeah, I'd I love T Twenty. It's just it's it's just super exciting. And uh, obviously, you know, having lost the hundred this summer, mm. it is the the only other shorter format at the moment going. And we've also got the IPL coming up and I'm just yeah I just love the T20 I think it's really exciting it's very exciting um, you know we got a little taste of what the 100 could have been uh, that uh, Tom Banton uh, replaced Jason Roy as an opener so we got effectively the Welsh Fires opening partnership and finally in the first match I know it was a draw but uh, Tom Banton got a decent big involved score for England and sort of come come true on all of the promise that he's shown finally yeah, he definitely showed us that Kevin Peterson similarity that he holds. And again, for such a young player, he's not afraid to go out there and just go for it. And it really worked well for him, more so on the first um, than the second. So I'm excited mm. to see what he does this evening. But yeah. again, Owen Morgan, can we just talk about his his 50? I, I don't know what he did it in, but it was it, it, hardly any balls at all. He's just, his strike rate is insane. Yeah. Um, and he and we've got some big hitters. I'm. I think the lineup is looking really, really good. And interestingly, today in the news, it just mentioned that the upcoming series against Australia, which don't forget, all of this T20 series is super important right now because it's the practice for the T20 World Cup, which oh, is the yeah. next big World Cup coming up, and everyone wants a spot in the T20. There's no room for Joe Root in the Australia series. Now we can forget that we've lo- we've lost a lot of players because they've been in the Test bubble. But now the test series is finished. We're able to choose those those players as well to join the the one day team or the T Twenty team, and they have chosen um, Butler and Stokes to come across, but they have not chosen Joe Root in the T Twenty. They have chosen him for the one day. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I feel it's a shame. You could see from Joe Root's end, and maybe this is me just being a bit cynical, that there was a definite media campaign on the part of Joe Root to get his name thrown in the hat for the T Twenties, and he clearly wanted to get in the squad and he sort of did everything that he could have and needed to do which was make runs for Yorkshire in the blast which he did I think he got 60 odd but 
he's done everything and clearly they are going in a different direction it might change you know for years the test side were after a couple of blasters to open the batting and now they've gone back to burns and sibley traditional dogged grinding out opening batsmen and it seems conversely there's not much room for that rock anymore especially when you've got players like owen morgan and ben stokes who could kind of do either depending on the situation well, that's the thing. I mean, Joe Root is renowned for being England's rock, which which is super, super important. And you can't just have everyone just completely going for it and losing their heads and getting caught out in the deep. But at the same time, I think that the way that the T20 matches have evolved, there really isn't space for that, that rock um, of Joe Root. I think that the fact that Tom Banton's playing so well, you've got to think about will he continue to open with Johnny Besto? Or when Jason Roy is back and fit, surely he opens with Johnny Besto and Tom Banton goes down to three. So therefore, where does Joe Root come in at? We've got uh, Stokes and Butler coming back in. And as they are now the more senior players and a lot of experience under their belt, surely they can adapt and they have adapted in certain situations to slow the pace down if they need to take the pace off the ball and become the kind of rock that Joe Root provided before because they are quite flexible now too as players yeah definitely I think you've summed it up perfectly there I don't think uh, I've got much more to say as far as that is concerned there's some questions about the uh, bowling attack maybe Joffre Archer will come in and it's so hard I was saying about uh, Chris Jordan he had a bit of a bad match the other day um, but his stats in T20 don't lie I think he only needs two more wickets to become the most successful England T20 bowler of all time um, is that right yeah Stuart I mean, Broad Chris is the holder can you believe that Stuart Broad is the holder that's yeah. mad I think that we, we know having spoken with the lineup with the 100 teams that Chris Jordan flies around the world he is like the hot ticket for the death over bowler mm. he makes fortunes out of just bowling a couple of overs at the end you know and he normally gets it completely bang on but I have to say I do think that England's bowling attack just didn't get it right for the T20 I don't mm. think that any of the bowlers were particularly happy with their figures so it was definitely more of a batting batting game, I think, than the last T20. So it'd be great to see what happens this evening. I think the I think the pitch before was still relatively wet as well from the amount of rain that's gone down. So oh, hopefully no they've had time to to drain most of that out again, and it might just be a different wicket this evening. Fingers crossed. Um, I think it'll be an exciting one because Pakistan will at least want to come back with something, having lost the Test series. But you know, I, I've just started playing cricket again on my own personal self, and every single pitch that I've played on so far has been sopping wet because it's just been raining constantly for a month and it's like literally like uh, playing on a blancmange which makes it very uh, very very tricky but I guess we should uh, we should round up there because I guess we've uh, we kind of covered everything really um so like I said if you want to follow us on our socials it's at 100 report on twitter at the 100 report on instagram do please check us out on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, all that fun jazz. And I guess we will reconvene after the Australia series and then maybe we'll know when Anderson can take his 601st test wicket when uh, the winter schedule has been figured out a little bit more solidly. eh? Yeah, and I definitely want to follow the IPL as well. So it's going to be in Dubai because obviously India are really struggling right now with the COVID-19 mm. figures. Um, so also it's going to be... I think it's going to, that's also going to ascertain what England does this winter because they were supposed to go to Sri Lanka. They were supposed to go to India. I don't see that happening. I think if it works well for the IPL to be hosted in Dubai, I think the ECB will be looking to see how that works mm. and they might be hosting the winter tours out there. So, yeah, all eyes on the IPL after the Australia series. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, anyway, thanks again for tuning in and we will speak to you guys anon. Draw for now. Mm-hmm.